the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. We continue our efforts to promote the idea of education steeped in the humanities as well as the hard sciences, the canons of Western civilization, concepts like objective truth that are under assault, and uh, Fund for American Studies is one of the uh, organizations that uh, promotes some of those same philosophies to the well-rounded individual, the well-lived life, the uh, well-organized free society. Pleased to, in, in furtherance of this discussion, pleased to be joined by Dr. Ann Bradley. She's the George and Sally Mayer Fellow for Economic Education and the Academic Director at the Fund for American Studies. Dr. Bradley, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, you um, are uh, working in the space of uh, teaching economics, and um, boy, that is, speaking of things under assault, um, I, uh, this story out of Oregon is uh, not new, but it's disconcerting that it's not new. The Oregon Department of Education encouraging teachers to register for courses that uh, train them in ethnomathematics, arguing, among other things, that white supremacy manifests itself in, fo- in the focus on finding the right answer. And um, the concept that mathematics is purely objective, that is unequivocally false, and teaching it is even much less so. Uh, this is according to the toolkit that informs the education of educators well, you can't really have an intelligent discussion of economics without using at least a little math. So if we can't start from some of the baselines, it's hard to make sensible public policy or even have a sensible conversation about public policy, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, this, this notion that you're speaking of in this particular case is troubling because it, it implies that we can all come to our own conclusions about anything, whether it's two plus two equaling four or the efficacy of the stimulus bill and, you know, minimum wage policies. And so what we really focus on with our students in the classroom is teaching the basics of the economic way of thinking that there are truths about human nature and about the way the world works. And if we ignore them and then just kind of go on and try to craft policy, we're, we're not going to hit our targets. In fact, we might create unintended consequences that actually harm the people we intend to help. So starting with the truth and the objective facts is essential for crafting policy and the behavior of governments and citizens in an effective way. Yeah, I, li- I like the uh, uh, sort of mon- or, or slogan that um, another think tank, that uh, a think tank that sort of thinks al- along the same lines as uh, so many of the programs at the Fund for American Studies, that would be the Acton Institute. I like their slogan, connecting good intentions to sound economics. The two do not have to be mutually exclusive, but they do have to be connected. So you want people to make more money, but that doesn't mean you can't, that you can ignore a economically sound discussion of, for example, since you brought it up, minimum wage laws. Yeah, I'm a big fan and partner with the Acton Institute for a variety of things. And they're also kind of thinking along these lines. So 
I think that's right. We have to take our intentions and match them with the truths of economics. That you know, what we talk about in the classroom with our students is what are the economic realities that we face as human beings, and if we ignore those, for one, we live in a world of scarcity. <laughs> and I think sometimes when it comes to government policies, we act as if the government can kind of magically create resources and pay for things. So. With minimum wage policy, the question is, yes, we all want people at the bottom of the income distribution to earn more money. I think we can all agree that that's a good goal. And what economics is about is kind of understanding the best means for doing that. And so, you know, kind of one of the questions we raise in the classroom is if it were easy to just raise people's wages by a policy decree, then wouldn't we already have done that? And why not do it at a much bigger level? I mean, instead of going to $15 an hour, why don't we go to 50? Because that would actually help people a lot more. It would be a huge increase. Right. And the reason why- is because we live in a world of scarcity. Yeah, right. Why Why be so stingy? I mean, if, if you right. could just, yeah, if you could just confer money by fiat uh, that somebody else is going to pay for, then let's make everybody a millionaire. I mean, what, you know? Uh, well, well, there should be no limits based on right. that, what are we uh, that, for? that approach. Right. Well, and, and so, so yeah, I, you know, these sort of these foundational concepts that uh, have um, fallen out of fashion, um, you know, one, you say we live in a world of scarcity. There's more of, uh, there's always more demand for uh, than there is supply of things that are in demand. Uh, the other, and we're seeing this play out in a lot of ways that are not necessarily strictly economic, is the concept of opportunity cost that uh, we also live in a world of trade-offs. I couldn't agree more. And again, this is a fundamental principle that we have to embrace in our thinking. There's always trade-offs. So back to the minimum wage example, if we are going to do that, if we decide that this is a good idea, then we have to realize what we're going to give up. Uh, When we come back with uh, Dr. Ann Bradley, the academic director of the Fund Fund for American Studies and um, uh, the Foundation for Teaching Economics, I want to talk a little bit more about what it is like to try to advance an understanding of, of basic or even intermediate level economics in the in the current educational environment. More on the Dan Prop Show right after this. Brought to you by the Fund for American Studies. The Fund for American Studies is an educational nonprofit that is changing the world by developing leaders for a free society, offering transformational programs that teach the principles of limited government, free market economics, and honorable leadership to students and young professionals in America and around the world. Download a free ebook to learn how you can become a champion for liberty at teachingfreedom.org. It's the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Dr. Ann Bradley. She is the George and Sally Mayer Fellow for Economic Education and the Academic Director at the Fund for American Studies. She uh, also uh, works to in- enhance the impact and reach of the Fund for American Studies at the Foundation for Teaching Economics. And uh, that's where I wanted to pick up our discussion, uh, Dr. Bradley, the uh, efforts to impact, to enhance the impact and, and reach uh, through the uh, steeping uh, people in the in an education and economics. And, um, you know, what the challenges are, uh, the most pronounced challenges are with respect to that sort of baseline economic education that really is a requirement to be functional no matter your professional pursuits. Yes. At the Fund for American Studies, we really deal, deal with this in a unique way in that 
we have students who come from a variety of different schools across the country and all sorts of different high school backgrounds. And so we don't know what their exposure is when they come into the classroom. And so it's been really fun to create a class that both reaches people who've never had any economics, but also challenges people who have. And so I think what we try to do is, is create this blend of the economic way of thinking and some of the more maybe sophisticated ideas in economics. For example, we don't know everything we need to know. That sounds very basic, sounds very common sense. But again, when we get into policy, we often act as if government agencies can tinker with the economy in ways that will make it more productive, as if they can know what needs to be done. And so I think one of the other really important ideas is that the economy is not an engine that we jumpstart. You know, if your car breaks down, you get a jumpstart, it goes back, uh, it gets back running. And I think we treat often the economy as something that we just need smart people to tinker with the policies. And then the policies will work. And so that then opens up a debate. And I think students across the country kind of come into the classroom thinking this, which is that it's really just about then getting the smart people who are ideologically aligned with, you know, what they think the right answer is. And that those people, when we put them in charge, can direct economic growth and human flourishing and equality and all of those things. But the fundamental misconception there is that the economy is not an engine. It's not a designed system that smart people can tinker with, but rather it's an emergent order and it starts with individual action. And so that's really what we try to focus on in the classroom is how do these policies affect individual people? And when you tie it back to the unique individuals, then we can start to have a really interesting conversation about community level initiatives and what's going on in different towns and cities and how do we apply economic principles to those unique problems. And it seems to me too, you know, it's it's like getting people to ask the right questions to pursue, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, an understanding of a particular issue. So, uh, and, and, and the questions that pop up almost no matter what the public policy challenge you're trying to solve, uh, no matter what it is. So for example, uh, questions I always think to myself, how does the money flow and who gets to make spending decisions? You know, so where does the money come from and who's making the spending decisions? So, and you think about that, for example, in the context of K through 12 education. Okay. How is the school funded and who is getting to make the spending decisions for kids education? And so then you have a discussion about, you know, t- t- centrally planned government school system versus a system like we have at the collegiate level where there's money attached to the kids and parents and the kids make the decisions and so forth. Th- those implications of spending power, uh, dramatically, uh, uh, well, they determine and, and they determine the, the nature of the system you're describing and dramatically impact how it operates, for example. Absolutely. And so what you just described is a story of incentives, right? So when we understand where the money comes from and who gets to decide how the money is allocated, then we have a story that unfolds about who has the incentive to make it successful, you know, by whatever benchmark we're using. So in education, we're looking at graduation rates, we're looking at math abilities and science abilities and all these types of things. And as you pointed out, in publicly provided primary education, it is, once you're in that system, it is kind of a command and control system. And so who has the incentives? It's kind of different than college. It's, you know, the parents are the kind of removed taxpayers the students have a role, but the teachers 
and in particular, if you're in a district with teachers' unions. So uh, they have very powerful incentives that often run against the objectives, which is high graduation rates, high student performance, et cetera. And so I think that's a really great example of where once that, you know, once you're in that command and control system, the incentives for performance are altered in uh, a way that they wouldn't be if you had a private market. So, so with everything that we, we know and we see happening in K-12 through education and, and certainly the college campuses, and it's actually sort of happened at the college, at the collegiate level, and it's now down to the K-12 through level in terms of um, schools being incubators for political activism more so than mm-hmm. institutions of enlightenment. Uh, how does that impact the work that you do and sort of the students that you're getting? This is such a great question, and it's something that I've really wrestled with in the TFAS classroom because what I've mentioned before is, you know, people are coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, and that makes it different than if I had a student who was in a 300-level class, I would know who their other professors were and what they had been exposed to. So what's interesting, I think, when you walk into an economics classroom, I think you have a couple of feelings as a student. One is you might not be that excited about it because you think it's going to be all math and no ideas, which we really try to counter that. Math is important for what we do, but it's not everything. And that it's ideologically driven. And, of course, economists are people. They have ideological opinions. So what we try to do in the classroom is say, you know, your decision about how you feel about how we fund K-12 through or minimum wage or what the next stimulus bill should be if there should be one, those are your decisions as a private citizen to make. My job is to teach you how to think like an economist about those decisions. And so what I tell my students is, let's take the ideological hat off. Whatever yours is, it's yours to wear. And I have, you know, it's not my job to change that. But my job is to say, you need to think about this like an economist. And I do think this really opens doors because students come in with very charged opinions. And if they view you as an economics professor, as a threat to what they already believe, to their priors, then you're going to be met with resistance. I think that's a sound approach. She is Dr. Ann Bradley, George and Sally Mayer Fellow for Economic Education and the Academic Director of the Fund for American Studies. Uh, She uh, works to enhance the impact and reach of Fund for American Studies and Foundation for Teaching Economics Education programs through courses, seminars, videos, social media, as you were hearing her describe. Dr. Bradley, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan, thanks for having me. Podcast of the show at danproffshow.com.